Your Bibles tonight, Hebrews chapter number 5, Hebrews chapter number 5. If you've not been with us the last couple of Wednesday nights, we began a new series. That series is Principles to Live By. Preacher, what exactly is a principle? Well, a principle is a rule that guides what we do. It's a policy. It's a foundational uh, philosophy. And so we're not really looking in this series at doctrines. We did cover a good part of that during the summer months but we're looking at uh, principles, and uh, these principles really are ground rules that should help us decide in the decisions that are before us. And we began just a few weeks ago with this verse, and really it'd be the theme for this series, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. The Bible says, for when for the time. So who's ever writing, it could be Paul, might not be Paul, but Paul is writing to somebody that's been saved for a long time. Didn't just get saved yesterday, last week, last month. He says, for when for the time you ought to be teachers. So he's saying, you've been saved long enough now that you should be teaching someone else. But something was wrong. Again, verse 12, when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. So whoever it is, he's saying, you know what? You really ought to have these things nailed down. You ought to now be teaching someone else. You ought to be, if you would, out of the kindergarten of the Christian stage. You ought to be in junior school or high school. But he said, you have to go back and settle these first principles. So again, we're looking at this uh, series on living by principles, very basic truths. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for each one that's Father, we pray to help us tonight as we continue on these principles that we are to live by. And Lord, I pray uh, that you'd reinforce these, maybe for some of our younger folk or new Christians, or maybe they've never been taught these things. And so, Lord, help us as we continue. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the very first week, we just laid a foundation. And when we laid the foundation about living by principles, first of all, the question was asked, what's the basis for our principles? Preacher, where do we get our principles from? I'll look there again in Hebrews 5, 12, in the middle of the verse. I have need that one teach you uh, again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. That's the Bible. So, folks, all of our principles come from the Word of God. But then, secondly, we found that as you read the Word of God, you really get two different kind of foundations. Some of the principles that we get from the Word of God are very general guidelines. Some of the principles from the Word of God are very concrete commands. And so sometimes, I, and I gave some examples, I won't repeat them all, but it says over there in Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. That's kind of general. There's a lot of wiggle room if you want to argue with somebody what's a wicked thing. But you know, as you search the rest of the scripture, you find Proverbs 23, verse 31, Look not upon thou upon the wine wood in his red. Now he's giving us something specific not to look at. It says over there in Matthew chapter 5, and verse 28, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her. So again, some of the commands in scripture are just very general. Some of them are very clear. So first of all, where do we get our principles? The Word of God. There's 
kind of two levels for the basis of our principles. Some are general commands, and I would suggest if you're diligent, if you study farther, you'll find that there are some very clear commands about the same general things. And then we ended this, uh, and, and it's the best fuel, if you would. You know, there are many people that are given these principles to live by, but they're kind of forced upon them. We call those standards. Standards are really guidelines that someone is making you follow. And I gave the example of a speed limit sign, 50 kilometers an hour, 100 kilometers an hour. We're being compelled to follow that. The problem is, if it's just a standard, if you have never embraced that as a conviction, if no one's watching, you and I would have a tendency to violate it because it's just a standard. Far better than having standards is having convictions. And so that's the first week. And then last week, we looked at the very first principle. And the very first principle that we looked at was the principle of separation. The Bible says, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate. You know, when, the, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God came inside, and one of his many jobs was to transform us to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that meant some things had to go. That meant some things that we used to do, we weren't to be doing them anymore. That meant we had to be separated from things that we did while we were lost. We know that the Holy Spirit has enough power, he could do all that separating for us. But he wants us to do it. And so he will deal with your heart and mind, maybe through the reading of the scriptures, maybe under the preaching. But if there's that pricking in your heart, that's the Spirit of God that's trying to convince you there is something here that you need to separate. We found last week that there are really three different kinds of people that were to separate. First, we're to separate from unbelievers. Secondly, we're to separate from those that hold false doctrine. Third, we're to separate from those who walk disorderly. That was the command to separate. Secondly, the because, and we finished really with that last week. Pastor, why is it so important to have this principle of separation? And the answer for that is everybody that you and I rub shoulders with, they're going to leave a footprint on our life. They're going to influence us either for good or for bad. And the third thing that we didn't get last to, and, and I don't want to spend all this week on finishing last week, but the compensation of separation. If you started an outline and didn't finish it, that's the third point. The compensation of separation. Pastor, it sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like that's some tall requests that God would tell us now that we're saved that we're to stop this and stay away from that crowd and not do this. Preacher, why? And the answer is really found in Psalm 1 and verse 1. We won't turn to it. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You're blessed if you'll separate from an ungodly crowd. It says the rest of that verse, Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And so there's a blessing that comes in the life of a Christian that has this principle of separation. Now you'll be laughed at, and you'll be mocked at, 
But the truth is, God can give you some blessings in your life if you just exercise this principle. Having said that, preacher, what are we looking at tonight? Well, look over there, if you would, in Matthew chapter 6. So again, the first week, we laid the foundation for principles. And last week, we looked at the very first one, and that was the principle of separation. Pastor, what principle are we looking at today? Well, look there in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm sure that many of you could even quote this verse. But Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, our Lord says these words, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you know we're going to look here tonight, and, and if you were to study all of Matthew chapter 6, what you'd find is there were some people that were worried, and they were fearful. And instead of enjoying their Christian life, they were fretting. You say, Pastor, where do you get that idea from Matthew 6? Well, look there at verse 25. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, again, Jesus speaking, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for. Somebody was spending a lot of time thinking about and fearing for and worrying about. That's verse 25. Look at verse 28. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 28. And why take ye thought for? Again, somebody's worried about something. Look there in verse number 31. Therefore take no thought saying... So really, the context of this portion of Matthew 6, Jesus speaking to some of his followers, some of his disciples, they were fretting over, they were worrying over, they were taking an awful lot of time thinking about. And our Lord gave advice to these people. Again, look at verse number 33. He said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And, and, and I know this is basic, folks, but you know there's a lot of Christians, and maybe you tonight, worry about this and, and worry about this and, and, and how is this going to work out and what's going to be the outcome of this. And you can fill in the blanks on this, but there's a lot of people, even Christian people, that they are spending too much time in their day worrying about some things, and many of those things may never happen. And Jesus said that's not the answer for a fruitful Christian. The answer for a fruitful Christian is verse 33. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you know, many times what we worry about are things that all of that worry isn't going to do a, a, a bit of good. Look there, it gives an example, verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Now, a cubit in the Bible is from your elbow to the tip of your longest finger. I don't know anybody that would want to be that much taller. I've always been amused every time. Who wants to be 18 inches taller than they are? Uh, bless her heart. Maybe Mrs. Fowler did, but she's in heaven. But uh, he's saying, even if you spent all day, all night, all week, all month, all year, all your lifetime, you will never by worry ever increase your height that high. He said, instead of that, why don't you just put God forward? first. 
So again, if you're writing any notes tonight, my principle tonight, the principle of always putting God first. Always putting God first. Now that's just basic, folks. If you've been saved and, and your Christian life is stable, you already live by this principle. But again, if you're a new Christian, if you're just young in the Lord, uh, you, you might be making an awful lot of decisions in your life that just don't have to be made. If you live by the principle of always putting God first. Again, first things first, I read this cute little story about a man who was sharing an old recipe of how to make rabbit stew. Anyone made rabbit stew? There you go. So you're going to learn something here. And his friend wanted, his friend had pen and paper in hand. He was planning to write it all down step by step. So the friend said, okay, I want to learn how to make your great rabbits too. So he said, where do we start? What do we do first? And he said, first you have to catch the rabbit. Now that's, you say, that's it? That's all you get on that one. That's kind of, that's kind of ridiculous. But that is the first step. And you know, in this Christian life, you say, preacher, I just don't understand why things aren't working quite right. Maybe something that should be taken care of first has been pushed to second, to third, to fourth, to fifth. Heard about this man that went down to Mexico. When he went down to Mexico, he, uh, he was going to teach in Mexico. He was an American man. He was going to spend his summer there. He took his wife, he took his two children and to pass the time to keep his children busy, his three-year-old son, Larry, would look out the window of that car as they drove, and he'd identify license plates. And Larry's goal as just a little boy was to spot a license plate from all of the 50 states of the United States. So as they were taking that trip down there to Mexico, he, uh, he found 24 of the different states. He was so excited, he already had 24 and sure enough, while he was in Mexico, he found four more American license plates. So he's already halfway to his 50. And as they begin to travel back, they're at the peak vacation season. The dad decides to take them through Yellowstone National Park. That would be a license plate collector's paradise. There's people from all over the world that are there. By the morning of the second day in that park, Larry had 49 of the 50 states. The only license plate he hadn't seen yet was Delaware. And he was obsessed about finding a license plate for Delaware. In fact, when they stopped at, to, to see the Yellowstone's magnificent sights, Larry didn't see one of them. So all he was looking for was Delaware. True story. Instead, uh, he uh, preferred to run up and down the parking lots and look at the license plates. He's three. That would cause parents concern. Talk about the stress and the anxiety. And you would have thought that his whole life depended on finding a Delaware license plate. Well, they finally stopped at a cafeteria near the Yellowstone Falls, and his son begged the parents to let him go look at license plates. They said, Larry, you have to eat. And he said, I don't want to eat. I've got to find Delaware. And they said, no, you have to eat. So he went inside with them, and he gobbled down his food, and then he headed out to the parking lot. And no sooner had the rest of the family finished their meal than Larry came bounding across the parking lot. Come, come, you've got to see, you've got to see. And they all raced out. Sure enough, he found a Delaware license plate. They took a picture of it. And he, this guy said 10 years later, when they opened the photo album, 
They all laughed as they looked at that. You know, he was consumed with a Delaware license plate. Wouldn't it be great if we were consumed with Jesus Christ? He says, set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. I'm saying to you that as we look at this principle of always putting God first, look at the first thing, if you would, John chapter 20. Now, again, as I've said, sometimes God's principles are very general. And that statement about uh, putting uh, God first, that, that verse Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's very general. Say, okay, pastor, specifically, how do we put God first? Well, look there, if you would, in John chapter 20 and verse number 1. John chapter 20 and verse number 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark. Unto the sepulcher and see at the stone uh, taken away from the sepulcher. I'm sure that most of us are familiar with this. But we know that uh, when Jesus was crucified and buried in that tomb, we know that uh, one day passed, two days passed, three days passed. And the Bible says here very early on the first day of the week. It says very early on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came and she came with spices. The other scriptures tell us that uh, other women came with her. And uh, may I remind you that every day has 24 hours, and many of us in this room, we have enough to keep us busy 28 to 30 hours in a 24-hour period. But if you're taking notes tonight, could I suggest to you that if you've embraced this principle of always putting God first, then God will get the first of your day. God will get the first of your day. You say, oh, preacher, I am, it's absolutely impossible for me to get done in my day all that I need to get done. Do you know how you could get done more in your day than you have up till now? Is by starting your day with Jesus Christ. Just get alone before things start getting busy and get some time with God. I said it a few weeks ago, but someone came to Martin Luther Martin Luther, of course, a great reformer, and they said to Martin Luther, we don't understand, with all that you get done in your day, how you have time to spend with God. And he said, with as busy as my day is, I can't afford not to get up earlier to read and pray and meditate upon God. Our text here says that these women came with spices to the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid and they had business to take care of. And as we read of their little expedition, it says they came early. And no matter what time that your day starts, now you say, preacher, are you saying we can't have our quiet time at noon? Of course you can. Pastor, are you saying I can't have my quiet time at night? Of course you can. But could I remind you that when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, that every day God looked forward to spending time with them at the beginning of their day. It says in the cool of the day. And yet you know that fateful Genesis 3 chapter, the Bible says the serpent came to Eve and tempted Eve and she took the forbidden fruit, she gave it to her husband. Immediately they knew they were naked, immediately they tried to cover themselves 
And then when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day, hold on a minute. That means they had allowed conversations with someone else before they had their daily conversation with God. Sure, you can have Bible time at the end of the day. But that Bible time at the end of the day won't really help you through the issues of the day. So I say, if you're going to put first things first, if you're going to give God the first place, and if the principle of always putting God first, then I would suggest that we need to give him the first of the day. The first of the day. Could I give you quickly a second one? Look there in John chapter 20, same chapter, verse number 19. John chapter 20 and verse number 19. Then the same day, so this is the resurrection Sunday, then the same day at evening, so we'd say Sunday evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. We know that when Mary and those other women got to that tomb in the beginning of this chapter, we know that they were told to go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going to meet with them up in Galilee. I'm sure the women did it. I'm sure those women quickly raced to all of those apostles. Of course, Judas was no longer alive, so they raced and told all 11, come, Jesus wants to meet you today. Again, it's the first day of the week, it's Sunday. Up to that point, the day of worship had always been the Sabbath. Why the Sabbath? It was to commemorate the completion of creation. This creation was finished, and God's day of rest was the seventh day. But you know, from the resurrection of Christ, our day of worship is the first day of the week, because we commemorate the completion of redemption. That's why our day of worship isn't Sabbath day, Saturday, at Sunday. I remember going to my pastor at Bible college because in Bible college, the hardest day of the week was Saturday. We would get up for our bus uh, breakfast, and we would be there by 8, 8.30, and we would have a bus breakfast and a rally and be out knocking at our first bus doors by 10. And we would spend five-plus hours visiting bus riders and making new contacts. Saturday was the toughest day of the week. I went to the preacher one day, and I said, Preacher, we're not a very scriptural church, are we? <laughs> Whenever I pulled one, he always pulled his glasses down like that. He'd say, Robert, what are you talking about? I said, well, it talks about not working on the Sabbath day. <laughs> always said, huh? he said, son, you know better than that. He said, our day of worship Sunday. So he said, you have a right to be as busy as you are on Saturday. It didn't get anywhere. I said, then we should rest on Sunday. He said, no, we're trying to bring in folks to get to hear the Lord. Didn't win anything on it. Could I give you the second thing? If you've got this, if you've embraced this principle of always putting God first, then you ought to give God the first of your week. So not only give God the first of your day, but I think you ought to give God the first of your week. And we know that this society is trying to introduce every kind of activity, and they want to schedule that activity on Sunday and I think many Christians have decided maybe church isn't that important. We know that when Jesus did show up and meet with those ten disciples that evening, what a wonderful service they had, but we know that one didn't show up. Look there in John 20, verse 24.
But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. We're not told what Thomas thought was more important than meeting with the Lord on the first day of the week. I guess it could have been Super Bowl, could have been Grey Cup Sunday, uh, could have been some rugby, some kind of thing, I suppose. I don't know what it was. But he thought that there was something that was more important than to meet the Lord Jesus Christ and meet with other believers. But he thought wrong. Because after Jesus met with the ten, Jesus went and, or sorry, the ten went and told Thomas, you missed him. You should have been there. Look at his answer here in John chapter 20 and verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, to Thomas, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I, notice this next words, will not believe. Folks, his laying out of that service that night before didn't help him whatever. It didn't strengthen his faith. It didn't strengthen his walk with God. And I'm saying to you that there are many churches today that are canceling services. We're not planning to go that way. And if you ask some of those churches, tell me, what is more important? Because you've had Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek service. What is it that you have found is more important than meeting with God's people and with God Sunday night? Folks, whatever answer they give, it didn't help Thomas. In fact, the next Sunday... When Jesus met with all of them, including Thomas, Jesus rebuked him. I say, if you embrace this principle of always putting God first, you'll give him the first of your day. You'll give him the first of your week. Could I give you a third thing? Ecclesiastes 12. Psalms is the middle of the Bible. Then after that, we get to Proverbs. Then Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. So the first of your day. In the first of your week? Well, that would sure solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? I mean, that would mean that you'd spend time reading his word before you spent time reading a newspaper, before you checked your social media. God might just give you the strength to deal with whatever comes across that media. So, Pastor, I was invited to a friend's place, and it's Sunday, and I... If you've embraced this principle of giving God the first day of your week, you don't have a decision to make. Sorry, I can't. It's, it's Sunday. I'm in my church on Sunday. I give you a third thing, Ecclesiastes 12. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the uh, years draw nigh when thou shalt say I have no pleasure in them. If you're taking notes, I think if you've embraced this principle of always putting God first, then God will get the first of your life. The beginning years of your life. Now, listen, folks. For we that are on the latter half of our life, if the Bible's true, I believe it is, that we'll live to 70, maybe to 80. That means by the time you've reached 40, you're probably in the second half of your life. Pastor, I read about a woman that lived to 101, I know, and she ate yogurt, uh, yogurt and all that. Yes, and all that stuff. 
but that's probably not you and that's probably not me. And you know what Solomon here is trying to give some wisdom. He's trying to speak to some younger folk, and he's trying to say, you need to remember the Lord. You need to make him a priority in the beginning of your life. And how important it is for our children and our teens and our college and career that they just make that decision, God, you're going to get the first of my life. Not the leftovers. Not after I've sowed my wild oats and this world beats me up and then I come dragging back to God and the church and is there any way that you can help me because I'm carrying burdens that I never imagined would be this hard? Sure, we will do everything we can to help you. But how much of a better testimony it would have been if you had never gone there in the first place. Give them the first of your life. I know that there are exceptions, I understand. But isn't it true that some of the greats in the Bible, they were serious about God and the first of them, Samuel. He was just a lad. My, how God used him. Timothy. You know, someone died, I'm sure you've heard the name Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon pastored in London, England. And the day after a Sunday service, he was walking with that other preacher, down a London street, and the other preacher said, Mr. Spurgeon, did anyone get saved in your services yesterday? And he said, sure, well, yeah. So the other man said, how many got saved, Brother Spurgeon? And Spurgeon said, seven and a half. I was kind of taken back with that. He said, oh, I understand. You mean seven adults and one child? And he said, no, no, seven children and one adult. The other man said, why would you say it that way? He said, for those children, they have all the rest of their life to serve God. He said, but for that adult, most of his life is already gone. We once in a while hear of great testimonies about some Nashville singer or some Hollywood star, sports star, that gets saved later in life. We're thankful for everyone that gets saved. But the heartache and the scars and... and Sure be better to give God the first of your life. I give you a fourth thing real quickly. Look there at Proverbs chapter 3. Just before Ecclesiastes is a book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3. So if you're keeping track, if you've embraced this principle of always putting God first, you'll give him the first of your day. Then you'll give him the first of your week. Then you'll give him the first of your life. Then you'll give him here in Proverbs 3 and verse 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. If you're taking notes, the fourth thing, you give him the first of your increase. You can relax. Folks, this is one giving church. And I know many folks here, you give and you give and you give and you support missions and God bless you for it. But that's because you've already embraced this principle. This principle says, however God increases you, when you recognize that that came from God, you will give a portion back to God, and that's your way of saying, God, thank you. I think you ought to give God the first of your increase. 
And you say, Pastor, I worked hard for this. I deserve to keep all of this. God gave you the ability to work. God gave you the resources. God gave you the back. God gave you the head. God gave you the hands. God gave you the opportunity. And you know, if you give God back the first of the increase, God will take what's left and God will cause that to be spread further I know that I'm preaching to the choir. It's amazing all the crazy things that people spend a few dollars on. I won't even mention Tim Hortons. Won't even talk about it. Won't talk about lottery tickets. I have no idea what lottery tickets cost. But I've been in a line at a corner store and someone ahead of me buy 10 of three of those and all four of those. I guarantee it's more than a dollar a piece. Now go over to the side and do whatever you do with a lottery ticket. And then throw it in the trash. But you ask that same person to give the first of their increase to God. And they'll think you're nuts. It's amazing how much money people would spend in VLT machines. I've been on airplanes. I don't order beer. As close as I get is root beer. I remember on an airplane you could pay $3, $5 for a little thing of something. And it's just liquid devil. <laughs> it's amazing what people spend their money on. I, I read about this one man that took a day off of work without pay. Drove four hours one way to see a groundhog come up on February the 2nd. And no groundhog came up and he drove all the way back home. Lost a day of pay. Didn't complain. Only later to find out that the groundhog in that hole was dead. What a waste. <laughs> what a waste. I'm so glad that my parents ingrained into me the first of everything God gives you. And you know what you've heard? You've heard about some of these places in Chicago where you pay protection money. You pay the mafia protection money and they'll keep trouble away. Problem is if any other mob takes over, you have to pay them protection money. Having said that, there's no better protection money than God. And check sometime Malachi 3. He makes a promise if you'll tithe. He said, and see, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. That's what you call protection money. i give you the last thing. I'm done with this tonight. Look there, if you would, in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter number 50 Genesis chapter 50, I, I say to you, if you've embraced this idea of always putting God first, then you'll give him the first of your day and the first of your week and the first of your life and the first of your increase. But would you write this down? The last thing is give him the first of your considerations. Give him the first of your considerations. When something goes wrong in your life, when something happens that you didn't expect, instead of trying to blame somebody for being tardy and not doing what they were required to do, instead of blaming somebody or even blaming God, would you first consider that maybe God is doing it for a reason that you don't even know. 
I say, give them the first of your considerations. Pastor, I was just laid off from my job. Maybe God kept you from being made to do something at that job that would have violated your faith or your conscience. Maybe. Pastor, I was just fired. Who's to know what next week, next month, that that company will be found out to be embezzling in something and all those that are still employed at that place and God got you out just in time. And I say that because Genesis 50, look there in verse number 20. Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 20. But as for you, Joseph saying to his brothers, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You know, Joseph was sold by his brothers, Genesis 37, and for the next 12 to 14 years he was enslaved in Egypt. And he would be honorable and someone would bring a false charge and he'd be knocked down again and he'd do his best and someone would forget to remember what he did. And 12 to 14 years. Finally, we know, uh, we don't have time to get into it, but we know that he was brought up from the prison. He becomes second in command in Egypt. And his brothers, they don't know it's this brother that he sold. Brothers, brothers travel from Canaan to Egypt to buy grain. Do you know 12 to 14 years of prison time is an awful lot of time to get bitter, to be angry. Joseph could have been angry at God, but Joseph certainly could have been angry with those brothers. And we know that finally he revealed himself to those brothers, and now they're afraid. Now they're afraid that Joseph is going to retaliate, but Joseph says this. Look again, Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, he's saying to his brothers, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Could I say lastly, if you're going to embrace this principle of always putting God first, then God will get the first of your considerations. Have you considered the fact that some great disappointment yesterday might just preventing a far greater disappointment tomorrow? When I went to Bible College in North Carolina, the chief of police of a couple communities over his name was Robert Axum. Robert Axum stood up one day, and he and his wife, and they by this time had a college and career age daughter, and he stood up to give his testimony on the platform. And the preacher was driving this kind of point home that in the heartaches of life, God has a plan. And Robert Axum began to say that his daughter, a few years earlier, she attended a public school. There was a spring break, and, and the teenagers at the public school, I don't know if it was Bahamas or where they were going, they were all excited about the spring break. And just a couple days before that trip was to take place, Robert Axum's daughter found out that she'd not be allowed to go. And he said, and she was there, and her facial expressions and nodding confirmed what he said. She was absolutely furious. 
Why would they get to go and I not get to go? Who fumbled the ball on all of these plans? And, and her dad, mom, Christian people, they tried to console her and say, honey, God's got a reason for this. And she couldn't accept that. And you know, sometimes younger people can't see beyond Friday. And they can't see beyond the end of this month. All they can see is Bahamas. All they can see is the suntan and all the rest of that. All they can see. These parents who had a closer walk with God than their daughter said, Honey, you just have to trust God. And she just, she is miserable. She had an attitude. <laughs> Do you know that plane took off with all the rest of that students, but that plane never arrived in Bahamas. That plane, something went wrong, and that thing crashed in that sea, and all of the people died on that plane. When that news got back to that young girl, she had tears in her eyes. And she said, Lord, I'm sorry. But those parents had a completely different attitude. They said, Lord, we already believed that you had a reason. I'm asking whatever's happening to you, God's got a reason. If you get turned around and go some different direction, if you've had a job change or some kind of health setback, God is still God. Give him first in the considerations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this principle. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us. I know that many already are. Father, I pray you'd help us this principle of always putting God first. Father, help us to give you the first of our day and the first of our week and the first of our life and the first of our increase and the first of our consideration. Lord, you don't have to explain why you do what you do to us. It sure be comforting sometimes to know, but you don't have to. And help us, Lord, in times where we don't know to trust you. That's why you said, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Help us to do that, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.